Hello. I'm sitting in the wood on the hill above our house here in rural Llanelli in West Wales on a, a, a lovely autumn morning. We just had a load of rain and now the sun's out. So you'll hear the drips from the, the trees and the birds coming back to life and the drips hitting my, my script. Oh no. Uh, I'm David Hedges and I'm managing the Homegrown Homes Project for Wood Knowledge Wales. It's a study of the timber construction supply chain. It's led by Powys Council and it's funded through the Rural Development Programme and being delivered in partnership with Cardiff Met, Coit Cymru and BM Trada. Now, ordinarily Wood Knowledge Wales would have held its annual Woodbill Conference this summer, but 2020 has turned out to be anything but ordinary. So, instead of a, a conference themed around the Homegrown Homes project, we're running a series of webinars and podcasts which all have a focus on a particular aspect of the project. The podcasts are conversations between two people like me, both based at home, with an interest in the subject matter and a willingness to share their thoughts on the past, present and future. We made our recordings over the summer and sometimes the technology imposed limitations on us which you'll hear as you listen. I'm grateful to all of our conversationalists for giving up their time to talk and for being open and honest. I hope you find them interesting and thought-provoking and if you want to find out more about the Homegrown Homes project have a look at the Wood Knowledge Wales website and follow the links to the various project pages. Right, I'm going back indoors now to do a bit more editing and to record an introduction to each podcast. The fourth in our series of podcasts is a conversation between Debbie Green, who's Chief Executive of Coastal Housing Group based in Swansea, and Steve Cranston, who's Foundational Economy Lead at United Welsh Housing Association in Caerphilly. And the conversation was all about the foundational economy and what it means for them and their work as housing associations working across South Wales. Recorded once again during the COVID pandemic with each of us at home sitting in front of our computers. We started with Debbie and then Steve describing their career to date. Okay, so my current role is I'm Chief Executive of Coastal Housing Group, which is a registered social landlord based in Swansea. Um, but also covering these ports, Holbert, Bridgens and Carmarthenshire, and particularly specialising in kind of place-based urban regeneration. Uh, my professional background is an accountant, uh, but it's probably more useful to understand the kind of themes that have been running through my career and probably my degree as well. So my degree was history, and I guess I was interested in history because I was interested in modern politics, kind of social justice and a little bit about how the economy works in a historical context and then sort of by way of various stepping stones I've been involved in the Arts Council in Wales giving out capital lottery grants particularly around community capital-based projects. Uh, work for Quarateg which is a women's economic development organisation covering Wales nationally and then moved into housing first in a finance role and, and now in my chief exec role. So I think that's a very brief potted history so clearly not an expert in economics but it's sort of touched on bits of my career in passing. Definitely. Thank, thanks for that. Steve? Well, thanks David. Yeah so um, I've been with the United Welsh Housing Association for, for 10 years in a number of roles. 
I'm currently helping them to develop their thinking and practice around uh, the foundational economy. So working on a collaboration with four associations uh, working in Lionel Gwent. Um, kind of before that mixture of roles, but um, uh, I suppose my kind of roots go back to uh, community, social enterprise, and what we called then sort of community-based regeneration, what we're now increasingly calling foundational economy. Yeah. So big issues around social justice, um, working in areas which have formerly missed out on investments and have been labelled as written off, um, and uh, looking at ways how you build on those assets and uh, help to uh, yeah build on build on what's working and what's strong in those communities uh, to to move forward as opposed to. Yeah, looking at what's wrong and uh, what's messed up. So, yeah, that's my background. Thanks, Steve. We're at risk, I suppose, in this conversation of using an awful lot of terminology that might possibly be hard to access for some listeners. But you're both, I think, very good at talking in quite plain language and demystifying all of this stuff. But in terms of the subject matter, because we're talking about the foundational economy, I wondered whether there is a kind of a working definition or an easy working definition that you have both in your mind's got so that if somebody says to you what what's your take on the foundational economy that you would respond with debbie have you have you got a definition that you use uh yeah it's probably a bit of a waffly one rather than a straightforward one but it's something about the economic activity that takes place around around people so things that happen because people are there and some of that's around necessary goods and services, so things like food people consume, healthcare products people use. But there's also an infrastructure perspective to that. So kind of historically, people looked at what happened in Victoria Municipal Britain and how people got connected to clean water, electricity and gas and how that influenced the economic contribution people were able to make. That also includes things like libraries, though, so that kind of knowledge economy bit. And more recently, we'd probably include access to things like broadbands and, and digital information in that definition as well. There's a kind of wraparound that's a little bit about things that are maybe not so essential, but necessarily in modern life, we kind of tend to consider they are. So stuff around goods like sofas or things like haircuts, which we've all been quite fixated on not being able to have <laughs> during lockdown. And it kind of blends, I think, what we understand by economic activity also with kind of social capital. So it's it's quite interesting in work we've done where we've talked to people about what do they value in their local economy. They'll kind of talk about high streets, but also in the context of them being a community asset as well as somewhere to shop. And they'll include things like libraries and parks in that. So there's this sort of concept of social infrastructure running through it, I think, as well. Wow. Steve, is your definition similar? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, very much, very much. Yeah. It's really about what really 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 matters to people um stuff that you i people our neighbors family cannot do without to lead a good life so it is just the really basic foundational stuff health social care food education transport shelter clean air access to nature the social infrastructure that debbie's talked about you know we cannot lead a good life without these uh, without these things and um yeah and i think there are also things which actually it's it's not we purchase them individually they can only happen because we collectively need them yeah and for what i like about the definition is it also this isn't small stuff this is you know this is in terms of jobs between four and five jobs in every out of ten in every every community across equally dispersed across wales so it's a good way of talking about the stuff which previously we'd have seen as um been possibly nice to have you know a bit kind of bit luxurious but but actually it's the really important stuff we need it and are we finding that we're talking more and more about these things during the crisis, the pandemic, COVID, the 
the lockdown, are, are they becoming a bit more fundamental to us, do you think, Debbie? There, there are certainly some things that clearly flags up massively. So I think what's happened or hasn't happened in terms of, of social care and actually how that whole social care infrastructure has not really been seen both as, as a necessary piece in terms of a health perspective or as a right, but also it hasn't been looked at seriously from an economic perspective in terms of a very large employer and how do you secure good good pay and good career progression and employment rights within that sector. I mean, it's been really clear that where you've had people who, as care workers, are having to move between lots of different people or settings or, or homes, actually they've, they've spread the virus, and that's not through their fault, but that's through a dysfunctional model of trying to get the cheapest service with the least number of kind of person hours spread as widely as possible. So there's, there's definitely something there, and we've seen the fact that We've not taken key parts of the economy seriously, so things that have been offshored, so we suddenly find we can't access masks or or ventilators, things that you'd think we could easily manufacture in the UK as well. So this kind of off-sourcing of key supply chains that are essential to us, I think, has become front and central. But we've also seen, I think, particularly when we were all locked down and we couldn't travel far, the importance of, of the production and consumption of, of basics like food locally. I think we've all seen um, a move to understanding where our local food production is, how using farm shops, those, those sorts of things, and kind of that mixture of voluntary activity, supporting the local economy as well. Mm. Yeah, Steve, what's your take? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, one of the, um, a writer I come across um, during the, during the pandemic was um an activist from america rebecca solnitz and she wrote in april um you know when you have these moments of immense change we see with new clarity the systems and the quote is political economic social ecological in which we are immersed as they change around us and here it comes we see what's strong what's weak it's corrupt what matters and what doesn't i really like that you know because we are now you know all of a sudden workers who we previously just dismissed as low skilled and um yeah, are now key workers essential workers and they have a new kind of uh, value in in our understanding i think this is this is really important but it really has it's brutally exposed you know the weaknesses in the way our economy has been organized and debbie's mentioned social care smack on and this idea that you, know, you have health and well-being flows from economic growth jobs and prosperity this all this these the links between these three have all have all broken down and i think that you know, we are really seeing what's really, really important now, and that's got to be a step forward. You know, I think was it? <laughs> I haven't read it. I'm, I'm, my wife's got it, but they um, got the the book. You know, the plague camera. So that one of the quotes there is, "Pestilence is at once a blight and a revelation. It brings the hidden truth to a corrupt world to the surface." You know, I think we're we're seeing really what is really messed up, and also what really matters. And yeah, interestingly, the stuff around um, communities. You know. We've been told to think of communities being places where people are act out of um, naked self-interest. Well, wow, what a revelation it's been. And I've seen words like you know, solidarity, mutual aid, kindness being used in all sorts of different places, including by economists all of a sudden. And this is because, you know, we're seeing you know, with a new clarity around the strengths and um, assets that are, there are in communities, which have previously been hidden. I guess there's a risk, isn't there, that as time moves forward, and let's be optimistic and and say that eventually the um, the impact of the virus will will lessen. We're not going to get back to to any sense of what we would have termed normality, are we? It's not like a switch. You can't suddenly switch things back on again, Debbie. I think there's a danger of creep 
But I also think that there's been a kind of value reset, and I really liked a couple of Steve quote, Steve's quotes that he just mentioned that I think are, are bang on. So I do think people are starting to value different things, and I think even as we see that people are able to move around more, what they're choosing to do in their spare time is a bit different. So I think I think some of that will continue, and I think up to a point, politicians in Wales particularly, are looking again at the Wellbeing and Future Generations Act and thinking about how that links into a green economic recovery. But there's also, at the same time, quite a risk that people will just default back to doing as much of what they could as they did before. So I think the recovery and how we move forward has to be really intentional. I think, though, that that... And I'm certainly seeing it locally, maybe more than, than at Welsh Government, level that kind of at public service board level or local authority level they've absolutely seen front and central that the interplay of, of inequality people's inability to access jobs how that interacts with people's health so health inequalities e- economic inequality poverty all contribute to a massive exacerbation of the crisis and we've clearly seen poor housing poverty um, linking to the fact that people are more vulnerable to the virus as well. So I think at a local level in terms of their conception of a recovery, they absolutely see the join up. And I think that's really important because it's been sort of linked to that local activism piece as well. And, and you know, Steve was referring to some of the language people are using. And yes, it's, it's not everyone, but I also wonder whether it unites a little bit some of the angst from both the pro and anti-Brexit lobby, where I think all of us have taken different stances on that, but I think maybe a, something that connects everyone around that is that we've seen the diminution of, of local community, and that's something I think that unites everybody. So I think it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out as well. I was really hoping that we would have a conversation that didn't use the B word. I know, I was really conscious of mentioning <laughs> it, but it did strike me that probably this crisis has not kind of subconsciously rather than consciously played out in terms of showing us what it is we all think is missing and I think that's that sort of thing where some people have nostalgically harked back to this sort of what they thought Britain was like pre-Europe and but other people are seeing it in a more future focused intentional way of making local connection but actually that plays to, to everybody's concerns and I think that that lack of local connection is what creates political dysfunction and lack of faith in, in democracy and an agency in control of local economy is the thing that may well unite us all again if we get it right. I completely agree with that, Debbie, completely agree. And I think where the challenge is now is, is so where you have got, you know, uh, mutual aid flourishing in, uh, in communities at street level, community level, you know, it's what we all need to be doing, especially landlords should be, mm. could be doing to... Uh, to create conditions where more of this can happen. And uh, essentially, a lot of this means actually trusting communities more. It means giving more power to communities, giving them more resources uh, to do more of the things that matter to them. And I think, you know, if that doesn't happen, I think we could go back to the reset. We'll just go back to where we were before people uh, with perhaps increased levels of cynicism. Huge opportunity for us. You both work for organisations that are not just landlords. You do so much more than provide shelter and a range of services to people. Have you thought in the last few months about what opportunities might come out of the, the crisis that are kind of foundational in their their origin? And can you give us a clue about what some of those opportunities might be, Debbie? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we've sort of touched on it before. And it's, it's an obvious one, but I think, you know, it's, it's not just us who are talking about some sort of green economic 
recovery and clearly that links in um, in terms of housing also with the whole sort of decarbonisation agenda in terms of our existing housing stock and that's not just about thinking outside of our residents' interests about what's good for the climate but it's also about how do we create more energy efficient homes that are, that are cheaper to live in and warmer to live in um, and I think that you know and Steve will make this point more eloquently than, than me that that's also a big opportunity for that to be a part of, of community engagement and asset-based community development because what that can't be is us as landlords just doing stuff to our residents it has to be done with them and according to as, as Steve has said already what matters to, to them and I think around that we, we can play an important part but with joined up with local partners as well in terms of thinking about local supply chains and skill developments in terms of that work that needs to be done so that's a, that's a very clear area I think also there's a kind of scoping out of, of the gaps and do we need to support what sort of organisations do we need to support to fill those gaps? So potentially looking at social enterprise cooperative models working alongside SME. So I'll stop talking because I think Steve will have quite a lot to add in this space. Well, to be honest, we're we're on the same page. I mean, I think sort of top level, I think the green recovery is the uh, is 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 the game in town. And I just I just wish that what we had in Wales was more of a kind of a coalition or an alliance of, of organisations beyond housing who could really get behind this and work with governments as critical friends to say this is what we need to make the transition. Um, I saw Greta Thunberg's piece in The Guardian yesterday and it's just so depressing to think that when you look at the funds that have gone across from governments across Europe, more has gone into fossil fuels than into into um, the transition to sort of low, a low carbon place and it's yeah, you know, that's where we need to be putting pressure. It really is bonkers that we're putting money into aviation and uh, and, the, and the fossil fuel industry. Uh, so yeah, so but if we can get that, that kind of understanding, then the opportunity throws up in communities is phenomenal. It really is. Um, but it does start with um, what is important to communities because the danger is, as Debbie says, you, you know, we as landlords come in and say you are going to have your house done to and it will be good for you, and and you're back into the same old narrative about people being done to. Uh, having no agency um and we've got to switch this one we really have so i'd like to see us thinking about at community level using some of the new uh tools and approaches to engagement that have, have been pretty well developed across europe and across other parts of the world around participatory budgeting citizens juries citizens assemblies where basically we're asking people to take more control around allocating resources in the communities and also naming what is important to them and the kind of connections that you can make because it does strike me if we're saying and we are saying actually that we are going to figure out a way of having a 10-year pipeline of investments to massively uh, decarbonize our housing stock and this then being almost like the forerunner to this, another wave of investment which will be to, to decarbonize the majority of homes in wales owned, owned by and by landlords and uh, owner occupiers, this is a huge uh, transition opportunity to a, to a new place for jobs, apprenticeships, new technology, etc. But it needs to be done in conversation with communities. So I think there's some space here to be talking to communities around. So, what would a good decarbonisation uh, approach look like for you and your your neighbours, your communities, your family, uh, and to and for us to listen really hard about what we need to be doing to to make sure we join this up so it's not just a a kind of a, a narrow kind of siloed bit of investment from housing from one part of the housing ten into one part of housing tenure 
into communities that we really look at creatively around this. And it's amazing when we do have conversations. Uh, loads of ideas are coming up now, and um, you know, we're, we're talking about them with our colleagues in uh, in Blarney Gwent. And um, you know, it's it's potentially. It's, but I do think the green recovery is is what we need to be hanging it on, and we can't be doing this as housing people alone. That almost sounds revolutionary. It sounds like we're saying the way we've done things can't carry on. Um, we, we're going to have to do things differently. I like that you're pointing to the fact it's, it's been done elsewhere so we can learn lessons from, from others. But we traditionally, I don't think we're very good at doing that. Are we borrowing from the experience of others, certainly on the, on the continent or from other parts of the world? Uh, have we just got to get better at doing that? Yeah, actually, on that, there's this terrifying statistic and it depresses me so much. It's something like 20% of people in Wales feel that they have only 20% people they feel they have any control over where they live and if you want to think about all the problems we're facing now i'll use the b word again but that would be one of them in other areas around the sort of um, people just feeling alienated disempowered disconnected yeah that's where it comes back to and we've got to be on this you know people have got to feel a sense of place be being able to have a sense of place and we need to create the conditions where people can do more for themselves with themselves with their neighbors uh, or else we're going to a lot of the stuff we do will just be part of the same perceived as the same old top-down stuff. Debbie, do you think we've got the right kind of expertise collectively to be able to get on and and start to do things in the way that Steve's described? I, I wonder if the question is quite about expertise or whether it's about a more mature governance model because a lot of what Steve is talking about is is a move away from centralisation. It feels that in, in a relatively small Definitely. country we've got a very centralised model and actually, we did away with quite a lot of the arm's length organizations as well who had expertise and work more locally, either in a more commercial or community way based way. So we've got kind of policymakers within Wales who sit centrally and also try and do delivery. And I think that job is, is impossible. I think they need to be more trusting of their local governance um, arrangements and local communities. And it's much more about then making broad policy objectives around and understanding what's an investment and what's a cost as well, because I think we see decarbonisation at a government level as a sort of cost that they're somehow trying to avoid rather than an investment that they should be making. And having made the commitment to make the investment, I think they have to step back and let local partners do the delivery. And I think that for them is, is a real challenge. So I'm, I'm quite interested to see in terms of the next Welsh government elections whether maybe at some sort of coalition, um, which would probably also include Plaid, which I think does have a more kind of regional made in Wales focus, uh, might might change some of that, particularly around thinking about some of the issues around culture, language and rural Wales as well, because I think that's that's essential. So I think there's something around that, um, because I think the expertise is there locally, you know, people locally know what matters to them and have those connections and relationships and know where the assets are in the communities. I think the siloed working at the top is actually cutting governments off from expertise that that does exist, but it doesn't maybe exist within the narrow confines of what's quite a small government machine, really, in, in Wales. So I think it's more a problem of governance than, than expertise, and we really need to change the way that we work. Wow. Steve, do you share that view? Yeah, I do. And the key word there is trust, isn't it? You know, um, people have got to, who who have um, uh, resources, influence, power have got to be prepared far more to um, to start sharing it and devolving it. Completely agree. There is something there, isn't there, about the way in which power plays out 
and to make some of those changes, Debbie, we've got to get some people to think differently about the power that they have, don't we? Yeah, I think I think that we may be quite a risk-averse culture, um, particularly at central government level in, in Wales. And I think, in, in a sense, if you're a civil servant tasked with writing policy and delivering that, delivering it that's that's inevitable because you get blamed for the things that don't get delivered quite right um, it seems to me that if we strip that back and, and went back to a space of broad policy direction being driven from government and the detailed delivery moving from that 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 actually we'd have a much more agile system and we talk about sparsity of resource both in terms of of people and money but that's because we're looking into smaller pool. Yeah. And, we, and we look at resources I mean, and so much of our resources is dealing with um, cleaning up the mess that we've made with uh, <laughs> with things. And the shift has got to be around moving upstream with the investment to prevent a lot of problems happening in the first place. And then we are talking about serious resources, aren't we, to, to start shifting around. What about other barriers that might be out there preventing us from embracing perhaps more of a foundational approach what, what what else do we do we need to think about challenging steve well i'm i'm kind of interested in this idea that the uh that actually the future often is already happening it's just happening in quite in, in, in pockets uh and it's not distributed it's um you know it's that quote isn't it from william gibson about the future's already here it's just unevenly distributed um so i i'm just kind of i don't think we've got it right around how we actually we share share learning uh i'm very attracted to to, to I've been involved in a few personally through a small number of community practices, you know, which are sort of well designed and well facilitated. And these, these can be really deep and rich places where people can share and learn and learn quickly. And it does strike me that we haven't got this right in Wales yet. Whenever we have things like funding streams for pilot and innovation projects, yeah, we don't wrap around that opportunities to really maximise the learning. It's quite interesting that the foundational economy pilots that are um, up and running and we're, we're, we're one of them it's in our with our planning collaboration have uh, i've got a community practice that's just coming to play now um be led by colonel cumry and it does strike me this should be the norm for for any investment particularly when you're trying to try and do new stuff uh, that you really have to try and create a, a rich learning environment so the stuff doesn't just stay the book the learning doesn't stay um either unshared yeah and it's not and, and i don't mean good stuff i mean bad stuff as well you know learning from the mistakes and a, and a community of practice is 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 just that is yeah. it it's about sharing yeah. everything well, what works what hasn't yeah, worked it's, it's safe space so it's the it's getting rid of the blame culture you know it's safe space where people can you know appreciate from different perspectives what's been going on so they get a deeper understanding of what's been going on and can take and take practical learning to do things better uh, so very you know very practical places you know you you want to understand more of what's been going on and you want to be better at doing what you're doing and we've got some you know we've in Wales we've got you know we've got We've had academy. We've got Academy Wales. We've got other sort of institutions, but I don't think they're having the influence across the piece. I've, I've been. It's been a pleasure um, uh, being on the decarbonisation implementation group that Chris Joffe chairs. We've had a few spin-outs from that, and one of them has been to to work with uh, maybe ten people um, who've been involved in the, the, the emerging decarbonisation agenda, uh, and working with Diana Reynolds, a Welsh government who leads um, on the sustainability change at Welsh governments, and talking with diana uh, about you know what a really rich learning environment looks like has been absolutely re- revelatory and we're about to sort of kick off uh, some trial community practices around a number of themes uh, one of them which is actually going to be led by um kath palmer looking at a kind of a a, a community of learning a community of practice for chief executives you know mm-hmm. safe space for you guys to talk you know it's really vital we're looking at one on in terms of what we can be doing better uh, as four housing associations working on the same patch and yeah 
hands up here. So in Blandy Gwent, we've got four housing associations literally working in the same local authority and the connections between the two of us, even though we're neighbours and we own, we manage one in five homes in Blandy Gwent, has actually been quite low level to date. So we're looking at, so what can we be doing better to, to, to leverage the uh, foundational economy impacts in Blandy Gwent? And we're going to be talking as a group of four associations. There's going to be one on um, carbon literacy, one on Sort of community engagement one on jobs and training and it seems to me this should be not this should be kind of how we work as professionals as citizens in wales and doing far more of it you know so much just you know so community practice i'm a real fan debbie what's your reaction to that yeah i agree with all of that and i was i was just reflecting as well particularly when steve was talking about the sort of four rsls working in one local authority area not very being actually that well connected that 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 is a theme in, in housing. And although we talk a lot about collaboration, we don't do anywhere near as much as we could. And what might make a difference? And it struck me, you know, locally, there's another community housing association that's, that's recently recruited a new chief executive. And we've invested the time just to get to know each other quite well without any formal agenda, just actually kind of who are you? What are you interested in? What are your kind of fears and hopes for the future? Um, and now we've got a dialogue. So if there's something we want to ask and we maybe want, don't want to ask our umbrella body or, you know, we, we will tend to drop each other a line. And it's out of those relationships as well that you're not, you're not pushing an agenda, but you're like, Oh, what, what are you doing about the local supply chain? Or what do you think about this? Or how do you engage with your community about X? Is, is that sort of trust at a senior level also supports that behavior lower down in the organization? So you don't, you know, I've seen it the other way around where you've got some local staff who are doing stuff together, but then suddenly a decision has to be made or a budget has to be released and it goes back into that individual organization's governance process and gets slowed down. So I think you do need, you do need buy-in at the top, but not to a specific anything. It's, it's actually that we, we all work close together. We should know each other better and have that dialogue. And it, okay, I guess it's a time investment, but I think it massively pays off because we understand more fully where people are coming from so i think that's really important as well and just continuing to model those behaviors go on steve yeah i think relationships relationships absolutely crucial. a lot of this is just relational isn't it you know just understanding yeah. understanding who who we are where we have common cause um and it all comes down to people doesn't it it does all come down to people yeah i've I, 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 I really enjoyed i've really enjoyed the last uh, four months working with um, the asset managers across the um, four associations of Blandy Gwent. And you just, the more you just listen to the challenges they're facing and you talk, the more actually we find out we've got shared shared challenges, you know, a whole variety of strengths that we're bringing to the table. And, you know, if we, that's that great quote, isn't it? If you, if you use what you have, you have what you need, you know, and, very, you know, and it's, it's, there's a lot of truth in that, but you only get to it by talking. Haven't we always known this, though, the power of personal relationships and, and how much they matter? Are we saying something's happened in the last few months to make us reevaluate the, the importance of those things, Debbie? I, I suspect we've certainly seen an acceleration and there are some obvious examples in, in housing around people have coalesced around solving issues around street homelessness. And I think people have pushed aside some of their traditional processes and procedures and just organized around solving a problem based on this is the problem and you know what what mutual resources do we need to lever to, to yeah. fix it i think usually we're too caught up in probably top-down processes and procedures that no longer serve us very well 
but without a significant challenge to to realize that that needs to to change and i think you know steve talking about the futures already here is absolutely right and you see pockets of excellent stuff happening but i've you know i've i've in lockdown i've reread hillary cotton's radical help and there's some amazing examples in, in there. Yeah. And very often what you're seeing then is policymakers picking them up as, as individual projects and not really understanding that they represent a paradigm yeah. shift. Yes. So unless you're understanding you've got a new paradigm, which means that everybody top down, bottom up, including your board in the organization, now has to work in a different way that is also not just organized by your paternalism in your organization, but is driven by what matters and deep listening to people in the community then then everything gets completely lost in translation so you know and i think i think that's part of getting the communities of practice right is that you don't end up with something that that pairs down the learning into something far less rich where actually you try and do it again but you're not doing it again you're doing yeah. a kind of pale copy and it, and then somebody turns around and goes oh well it didn't work anyway which is kind of the answer they always wanted to get because they don't want something that challenges their kind of power or management position. So it's how do you get that shift and get people's buy-in where they feel, you know, maybe their power as the manager or as a leader might might be diminished in a much more consensual environment. Yeah. Gosh, I'm sure you would both be the first to say um, you you don't think that what you're doing as organisations and the way you're you're approaching what we've been talking about is is special that that there are lots of others trying this out but i i do get the impression that there is something pioneering about the work that you're that you're doing and i don't really get a sense that that this is kind of mainstreamed across social housing in in wales and across some of our thinking are we likely do you think to see more and more housing associations begin to to start out on that journey of understanding and then changing in the way that they that they do things it's a really good question that and i i guess my honest answer is is i don't know clearly i think it's some associations in relation to some issues or, or problems are starting to shift but if we were to fast forward would that mean that, you know, over time that's incremental and the housing movement is working in a different way? I honestly don't know. And I think there's something about how much organisations, I think, are rooted in place and the connection they have with their residents in a way that's moved from that paternalistic space. So sometimes our geography doesn't play very well to that. It feels, for example, the stock transfers, which have all their stock co-located within one local authority area, probably have more of that inbuilt sense of, of being for and part of a community, but does that necessarily pay out, play out in the way they work will probably depend on kind of what level of bureaucracy there is and have they inherited quite a paternalistic culture from, from, from when they were part of a local authority. So that's clearly a shifting piece. But then equally, there are other associations that are quite dispersed, both in terms of different aspects of their business and geography. And I think that means that, that maybe you can't, deliver quite such a rich service because it's more like numbers spread over lots of different communities and it's harder to make those kind of deeper trusting connections so i think there are some sort of barriers for, from that perspective um but it does feel to me that 
you know, we're going to be entering a very deep economic recession on the back of the COVID crisis and that partnership is going to be key in terms of how do we unlock community resources amongst RSL partners, local authorities, the third sector, um, and, and SMEs working within a community. So if, if we don't embrace this opportunity now and, and challenge ourselves a bit about how our how our kind of narrower business planning and governance fits into that framework, I'm not sure that we can be successful either. So that's not a very clear answer, but it, it feels like it's quite a big moving feast at the moment. Hmm. Steve, what do you think? I get that, Debbie. I think the test will be uh, to what extent we're going to be uh, effective partners in a in, in a green recovery and obviously that's going to require a lot from governments in terms of how they frame and um, look at resourcing issues but if we're going to be good partners around a green recovery then that's going to put it's going to well what we've been doing in the past mm. just needs to get ramped up <laughs> you know in intensity so much because like what's coming down the track is not good we know that and it is going to be as we know terms of health and um, inequality generally it's going to be our tenants that are going to get battered most by these changes so we have an absolute responsibility to step up now um, i don't see i don't see any alternative per- personally i think debbie's absolutely right we need to be thinking about this in terms of place so that is going to require new relationships at a, at a, at a community and local authority level and that's not just within housing associations it's us getting stronger partnerships with other key part yeah. other key players you know i'm i i, I i'm really worried at the number of um community-based uh, organisations that uh, have struggled like crazy to keep their head above water but are doing immensely important work uh, in commun- at community level, uh, street level, to um, improve wellbeing and how fragile some of these organisations were pre-COVID and how now, you know, they, 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 we could be losing some really, really important social capital and social infrastructure. So I think that it is about us all working together on this. You know, it really is. And I don't, I don't think it's an alternative. I also, I mean, it's easy, you know, I've, it's easy to level accusations at other organisations about being too siloed, but I also wonder as housing associations whether we need to fundamentally think the way we're organised, because we're, we're organised around kind of functional delivery, so housing, maintenance, yeah. buildings, stuff. You know, it's, that's not designed around people or citizens or residents. Uh, and when you think of the more pernicious, cross-cutting or harder-to-deliver themes, you know, how do we deal with climate change? How do we think about decarbonisation? holistically both inside and outside our organizations we're not actually designed around those issues either and i think i suspect we're either grappling consciously or unconsciously around some of that to you know simply being able to go and do x number of repairs in x number of days or hours you know isn't going to cut it yeah 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 and yeah yeah, during the during the during the crisis we've had staff um doing stuff which wouldn't have been in their job description because they could just see it needed doing. Uh, And, you know, I think there's been been some real learning there around how we have, in some cases, changed uh, the culture has evolved in response to what really, really matters out there. Um, In some cases, over a matter of weeks, and it's making sure we keep that and kind of accelerate those, you know, that that culture change. Yeah, definitely. How easy is it to adapt as organisations to kind of stop doing or or do less of some of those things that maybe we realize now are not so important for 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 whatever reason and focus on the things that really matter how how difficult is it to make that change debbie yeah i mean i guess to to use it to use something i'm i'm thinking about now so you know taking forward the whole decarbonization both in terms of new build and and decarb of existing stock both in terms of what what 
technical work are we actually going to do? So what's the work that's most effective and, and is there the right research and evaluation out there or do we need to, to wrap some own, our own research and evaluation around it in relation to how it's impacting our residents and our communities? Then I think housing associations have not traditionally particularly been good at kind of research, monitoring and evaluation of what we, we do. So there's something there. And then these are big cross-cutting themes that cut across sort of directorates as, as well. So there is something about are we structured quite right? And when the work is emergence, I think sometimes structural changes is relatively easy because it's really clear what we have to do. But when it's a really big change, you're, you're, the, there might be a bit of a barrier in terms of actually, so what does good really look like? You know, I think we're all, we, we all know we need to change the way we're, we're organised. I, I suspect our boards do and probably... It might be a bit easier for them because they bring that external perspective. They're not so rooted in the kind of everyday norms. Um, so I think there are. I think our boards can help us a lot there as well in terms of, of giving some fresh thinking. So it's not it's not impossible. But I guess when there's big change, we, we know there's change, but we're not quite sure what that settled future looks like. You don't want to do kind of abortive and disruptive stuff that that doesn't get you from from A to B. So I think I guess the first most important thing is to be conscious that you need to start experimenting with trying to do things differently and be really explicit yeah. about that so that we don't lock in the wrong changes and, and acknowledge that we are going through a people period of change and kind of like Steve talked about during the you know the the initial period of the pandemic just kind of all hands to the pumps to get stuff yeah. done and and then to sort of review that kind of in a sort of freezing unfreezing process around okay so actually now this is what the new normal looks like so it's i think the first thing is is just to be just to be aware and keep asking good questions yeah i, I think the idea is just continually trying new stuff so the idea of prototyping even on a small scale and rapidly learning you know failing often but learning from the failure yeah this is this is what it's got to be isn't it yeah and, and, and space to do this that's it, isn't it? It's about um, maybe being less risk averse and accepting that trying things out is how you learn and how you improve. And, and I wonder whether that loops back to the sort of piece you were saying earlier on, David, about well, do coastal and United Welsh feel a bit different? And in, in some senses, it's a bit now you see it, now you don't. But maybe it's a risk appetite that's different uh -huh. that we're more prepared to kind of experiment and, and just do stuff. I think also. Certainly, I get a lot. Of, I get a lot of freedom from from my chief executive and my boss around um, exploring collaboration opportunities with people who we haven't traditionally worked alongside. And I think that's if, you, if we do more of that, it can only be a good thing, can't it? Mm, yeah. So back to the collaboration piece you mentioned earlier, Debbie. You know, I think you've both got a reputation, certainly as organisations, that uh, that you will take on the difficult stuff and you'll do things that maybe others won't do and and to me that can only come from an acceptance that you know you have to try and do things differently if you're trying to get solutions so that all that all fits for me really i'm also yeah, I'm, I'm also conscious though david you know you, yeah you can see people's eyes rolling when people talk about what they've been doing and it's like oh god there they go banging about what they do again think they're brilliant and and really we've just got to get beyond that haven't we really because it's it's, it's tiresome, isn't it? A lot of good practice gets wrapped up as, as marketing and PR. And uh, I just think that just confuses the things so much. You know, this, this is about being genuinely, it's back to the community practice, the sort of the safe way of sharing and learning. So this isn't perceived as being one up the ship and people bragging about what we're doing it. It's just generally, look, we're trying really hard here. We want to get better. Can we do more stuff together to, to, to get better together? 
that's where I that's where I hope they push to be. Yeah, and and I think maybe the, the the bit that we're not that comfortable with is is the tendency to embrace kind of shiny projects rather yes. than think about systemic change. And systemic change is a lot messier. You know, and you don't kind of go and brag about it, or hopefully you don't, because it's it's just a learning thing, and you're doing it collectively with a load of other people. And at, and at the end, you kind of get to a space, and you're like, oh, actually, we have effected change and, and produced some outcomes, but it's yeah. not it's not all tidy on a piece of paper, and doesn't doesn't run very well in an award ceremony. You kind of keep out of those arenas. I think, but far, but far more satisfying. Yeah, and and it's not all about it's not all about us. It's not about us going. Oh, look, we yeah. led this or did this. It's actually around. Okay, so people were empowered collectively to do a great thing. And when we started it, we didn't kind of know it was going to end like that because we got to somewhere much more interesting. We need an event. We don't have enough events, do we? Based on a, a no bragging approach. But I mean, <laughs> seriously, yeah. the the work that's being done now, the various pilots around foundational economy stuff. Where are we going to, and when are we going to learn about what's happened? What learning comes out of all of that, Steve? Do you know? Well, I mean, in fairness to to Welsh government, to the first time, to my knowledge, uh, that a an innovation fund, this Foundational Economy Challenge Fund, has got alongside it. It's coming a bit late, but has got alongside it a community practice. Now, you know, fair play. So. Colonel Cumbria are um, coordinating the uh, the the, the, uh, the those projects, and we're kind of setting up this sort of learning space. So um, let's see what comes from that. But I've I've got good I've got high hopes of that. I really have, and I think some of the uh, groups that uh, that lead that lead Waters and Kensgate support together. I think these are quite good receptive spaces for for learning. So you know. And uh, Debbie, the, the the group that you chair, I think is it must be hard work. But I mean, that's badly needed, isn't it? It is. I mean, it, it is hard work. And I think, you know, I think particularly people like Lee Walters that you mentioned have, have really championed change and, and, and also getting on with things and putting the foot down and just doing stuff, which has been fantastic. I, I think the community of practice is, is an excellent idea. I guess that my nervousness is around all this has got quite short timescales on it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, in, in terms of the, some of the systemic change we're talking about affecting, how much will we, you know, we might be in that first phase of almost failing fast at the point where things yeah. are evaluated and, and just seeing that then as a failure where actually that's just a learning opportunity where relationships are being built and people go on, go on and build from, from that. And, you know, sometimes I think there are unrealistic expectations about funded programs, which are completely different from everything we know about how people become successful as an entrepreneur. So most entrepreneurs have failed multiple times before they become successful but we don't have that same risk appetite within funded activity so that that's my one concern is that we're not letting it run and encouraging encouraging innovation um and, and giving little bit you know and it's usually small bits of money not big bits of money but it just needs to happen for for longer and and i think that's the thing that we'll need to try and put pressure on government for it's, it's not just to think this is a one-off because the, the political pressure is always about that new big shiny thing where you can mention lots of jobs quickly and, and that tends to be inward investment and inward investment you know is quite fleet of foot going in the opposite direction as well so I think that you know it's, it's, it's slightly more long-term thinking around this stuff is essential. Well we've got a few months haven't we of opportunity to influence the thinking of the next government that we have here in Wales because I assume that that we'll have an election at some point next year and so we need to be thinking about how we lobby and what kind of messages we give to the politicians about how we'd like to see some things carry on 
and some things done differently, something stopped, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think I sort of referred a bit earlier to, you know, the expectation currently that there might be some sort of coalition as well. And I think that could quite often lead to more innovation in, in government than, than mm. sort of one party politics. And I think some more confidence around made in Wales solutions as, as well, which, you know, if, if it is plied holding the balance of power, we might well see so i'm sort of cautiously optimistic uh, about that i i think um i think whoever you know whatever we get next that the expectation from the people in wales will be that they need to see something shifting so I, i'm at the moment i'm trying to retain optimism around <laughs> that um because there's certainly there's certainly change coming yeah. but what we don't want is for the foundational economy to be seen as a uh, yeah, the domain of, of, of one party or because yeah. that would just be a disaster. We'd lack all continuity then, wouldn't we? And then in fairness, I've got to say, it's the, the, you know, the, the key people who, who have been driving this agenda, people like Carol Williams and, mm. and you, Debbie, it, it has been a very inclusive way in which this has been presented to politicians. And, you know, I think I think there is, I don't think there's any party, even, I don't think any parties would come out and say it's a bad thing. They may have different reasons for saying it's, uh, it's a yeah. good thing, but the, you have got that kind of broad level of agreement, yeah. which is which is yeah. so important because we don't want this to be one of, I'm just conscious that way back, you know, uh, God, I, I feel like I'm an old person now, but social enterprise was the big deal in a number of years, 15, 20 years ago, and I was involved in all sorts of working groups around setting up strategies and stuff, and it never took off because it just never did. And we don't want this to be another fizzle, which is a kind of the idea for the moment that yeah. to just, um, just, becomes a fad and a fashion and, yeah. and short-lived short -lived one at that. This is too important to be short-lived and a fad, yeah. isn't it? And, and it links quite closely with, um, I've been doing, as I'm involved with Centre for Regeneration Excellence Wales, which is working with Institute of Welsh Affairs around thinking about a sort of two to three year look at the foundational economy yeah. in, in terms of engaging people across all the political parties and different types of business. And it kind of harks back to the question you first asked about definitions of the foundational economy. It's, it's not feeling we necessarily have to say, oh, this is foundational economy. It's just trying to focus on the, the activities that fit within it and how those can be supported better and invested in in, in Wales. Yeah. And actually it is, and those those questions are not party political. So sometimes the, some of the academic semantics might be seen as being party political, but actually the reality of how do we support local Welsh businesses to be successful in areas that relate to the foundation economy ought to be absolutely cross-cut all parties. And I think yeah. that that piece of work for the think tank that's seen independent is going to be quite important in, yeah, in good, helping yeah. this to live, live beyond one political um, cycle as well. Yeah, and, and some of the other key players, I mean, I've been really impressed with what Josh Miles has been doing at um, the Federation of Small Businesses. Yes. I mean, they just put a recent yes. piece up recently saying, look, this is really important. We can't let it go. And by the way, um, government, if you really want to get serious, there are three key areas to focus uh, focus efforts around, focus the, the marshall resources from government. And he, he actually said, look, housing decarbonisation, food and social care. Now, it's just okay. so important because back to you know, what's really, really important to people, you know, good housing, you know, good food. <laughs> And, um, and and care for people, you know, it doesn't get more foundational. And so they're saying, look, keep the eye on the ball here. And it's really important. Yeah. I just want to know how optimistic you both feel about the future. And uh, Steve, you know, in five, ten years time, are we going to look back and say, oh, do you remember that foundational economy idea that we were all clued up about and keen on where where did that go is what's our test of success going to be well by nature i suppose i'm you know the cup's more than half full most of the time um i suppose 
the idea this isn't this isn't a new a new frame it's been people have been doing it for years and years and years i think this, this gives clarity to around what people have done in the past uh, good organizations good good leaders you know good teams will be will be doing this stuff whether a government wants to support it or not i suppose the issue is going to be around the extent to which we are going to work in whether conditions are we created for this to really flourish because we're not none is going to walk away from it but it's the, it's whether we can use this kind of almost like crossroads in the road now with uh, we're seeing things more cl- with more clarity because of the crisis, uh, the, the pandemic, about whether we really do look to sort of make that step change. So, I, you know, I just hope, and I'm certainly more optimistic living in Wales than I am it would be if I was living in England. We can we can make, take this uh, we can take this journey. Oof, controversial there, Steve. Debbie, what what do you think? Yeah, I think um, I mean it, the whole concept of the foundation economy, which started as an academic concept, was because. It wasn't that that economic activity was was new. It was it was economic activity that was overlooked by governments because you know, I mean, there's a stat quoted quite a lot by Carol Williams, who's one of the academics. that actually there's as many people making so employed in sofa making as Wales as there are in in Tata Steel, but because one one is very visible and the other, in a sense, is in, invisible and dispersed. One gets all the attention from governments and the other gets none at all. So there's something around actually that connection from government with, with those dispersed activities that might be harder for it to reach through conventional policy making. But for me, the crux of the issue, I think, is that it's, a, it's around the foundational economy where local people get a sense of connection and, and agency. And I think if democracy is going to survive, actually people need a sense of agency and control. You know, that taking back control piece and sorry to reference a Brexit slogan again but that feeling of alienation and and lack of control is is clearly very real for people and I think that getting the foundational economy right linked into how we go about a green economic recovery that's also linked in with well-being much more seen as an economic concept as well as a health concept is actually the key to how we move forward into the future so it, it feels to me essential that we, we nail it. And, and I guess I have to be optimistic because I think the consequences of, of not nailing it will be pretty dire. But um, but you are an optimist, Debbie, aren't you? <laughs> well, I think, you know, people like myself and Steve will just keep plugging away because it's, it's kind of what we do anyway. And, you know, I yep. think the more you do it, the more you realise that there are lots of other like-minded people. Yeah around so yeah i'll be optimistic yeah okay well listen thank you both very much for taking part good luck for the rest of the the day uh plugging away at stuff as you as you keep on doing yeah it was good thank you very much well thank you i really enjoyed it debbie and steve two very knowledgeable and increasingly experienced practitioners there even if the language we use to describe it changes you just feel that the foundational economy idea will be around for some time And who knows, it may play more of a part in the post-Covid world than we might imagine. Thanks for listening.